You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators, giving you new perspectives on the world of books, culture, and the arts. We are part of the HarperCollins Presents network of podcasts. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and joining me today is M.E. Girard, a 2013 and 2015 Lambda Literary Fellow. M.E. is a proud feminist who is endlessly fascinated by the good, the bad, and the ugly regarding the concept of gender. Her debut novel, Girl Man's Up, will be published September 6th via Catherine Teagan Books and Harper Teen and HarperCollins Canada. M.E. lives just outside Toronto, where she splits her time between writing YA fiction about badass teen girls and working nights as a pediatric nurse. And I, as I understand it, Emmy, you just got off work, correct? We're talking at 10 o'clock in the morning, and you've just come home. Is that right? Yeah, a couple hours ago I came home. That's exactly right. That's oh. my routine. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. First of all, what does M.E. stand for? Mary Eve Gerard. It's a French name because I'm originally from Quebec. And um, when I started writing, I thought, you know what, I want to separate my whole writing self from my nurse self. And it had the added bonus of, you know what, Emmy, I won't have to explain how to pronounce my name because a lot of people just pronounce it differently than I do. It's always been a thing. So I thought, I'm going to go with Emmy. But, you know, people actually don't notice that it's hyphenated. So I get a lot of the M period E period. Like, I'm this mysterious initial writer, and I'm not. It's very hyphenated. It's a Quebec thing to have hyphenated first names. Yeah, that was actually one of my questions was, did you do it also to sort of play on the fact that you can't determine your gender at first glance? No, I can't take any credit for that. I did not even think of that. Now, I'm going to read a very brief um, excerpt from the um, Publishers Weekly review obviously complimentary, but also a good description. And it says, In this powerful debut, Gerard explores questions of family, friendship, loyalty, and identity through the voice of Penn Oliveira, a 16-year-old girl who's, quote, not into dudes, looks and dresses like a boy, and doesn't get why it's such a big deal to people the way I am. The second child of conservative Portuguese parents who immigrated to Ontario, Penn has long felt accepted and protected by her older brother Johnny and her childhood friend Colby, who treats her like one of the guys. With Colby increasingly acting like an entitled jerk, especially towards girls, Penn confronts difficult choices about where her loyalty lies. New friendships with Colby's ex Olivia and a girl named Blake, who shares Penn's love of gaming and wants to be her girlfriend, makes her reconsider the meaning of respect, which her parents have always demanded. Gerard forcefully conveys the fear Penn lives with, having experienced frequent mockery and bullying, and her courage in aspiring to a safe, loving community for herself and her friends. I saw that theme, that theme of respect and and sort of loyalty, as strong as the gender theme. Absolutely. Loyalty and respect are huge, and they're very tied into, you know, different things that this, this character has to deal with. And a lot of it just is impacted by um, her gender, her gender expression and presentation and identity. But um, kind of more than that, one of the biggest things I wanted to do with this novel is um, 
kind of touch on the idea of words and their meaning. So loyalty and uh, respect are sort of words that uh, whose um, meanings are kind of explored and redefined, as well as words like and expressions like manning up mm. and all of the other kind of misogynistic sexist language that's in the book. So this story really is about this character realizing that words are just words until you, there's really meaning behind them. And the meaning sometimes isn't, you know, what, you, what you've taught it is or what you think it is or what other people's meanings are. So that's really what this book is about. And definitely loyalty and respect are central to the story. And I think it's also interesting how those, those very key words mean different things to different people in the story and particularly sort of intergenerationally. You know, what, what a question of respect and loyalty is to Penn's parents versus her brother. It, you know, it's a very, it's a very different um, outlook on the world, right? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Even words like friends, friendship, parents. Um, having someone's back, these are all words that she's grown up with that had very strong meanings from, from early on when she was a child. She knew what these words meant. But then it's now, now that um, she's at the age she's at and things are happening and she's trying to make choices for herself that she's realizing, you know what, that's not how I define those words. Right. And sometimes in the case of the expressions like manning up, um, that was another thing that I wanted to show is that um, there is a, there's a shift inside her with meanings, and sometimes it doesn't actually right now translate into actual conscious word choice um, for words and expressions like manning up or the other ones that I'm not going to say because some of them are slurs and derogatory. But, um, but then there's words like respect and loyalty and parent friendship that are very concrete to her that she's like, you know what? this doesn't mean what I thought it meant. Right. If that, and that's that part of growing up is is realizing that you have your own interpretation of those concepts that have been, you know, sort of put on you for, for so long. Yeah. Did you choose the theme of gender identity for a broad reason? Why did you frame um, the novel around a character who's, who's experiencing this? Um. I think that, well, first of all, it's, I was very heavily inspired just by uh, my girlfriend, who is, um, in the way she looks, is very similar to Penn. So um, certainly I don't have um, that kind of thing to deal with. I never did. I was always um, conforming, you know, as a girl really well my whole life. I get read as a girl, so I never had to deal with that. But um, somebody else, like my girlfriend, still struggles with that. And it started with my saying to myself, man, like, what would that have been like going mm. to high school Yeah. At, like that? And then, I, to be honest, when I started getting um, feedback that I've never read this kind of thing in YA before, this is so important in YA, and I'm thinking, okay, really? Because part of me just thought, okay, I can't possibly have read every single queer YA book that's out there, even though there aren't that many. I just, I didn't know that there hadn't been really many books from the point of view of 
if we're going to put a label on it, she would be, I guess, what we would think of as a butch lesbian mm-hmm. character. And I didn't know that. So certainly my idea was I'm just going to explore this and just see how a teen like that would, could have experienced high school and what, what are the complications around that. And I also thought, you know what, I'm going to give my girlfriend or people like my girlfriend somebody to root for, somebody to be in fiction and say, oh, my God, this is how it was for me. And now I think I'm kind of grasping that, wait a minute, I think more people than I guess I thought were going to relate to this character are relating to her. (laughs) Always a good thing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, mean, like, obviously you kind of hope for that, but it's just, I guess I hadn't realized, like, there's a lot of people who... You know, because I eavesdrop on Twitter and I look and see what people are saying and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, like people who just things like um, relate to just what the, the, the catharsis behind a haircut, finally yep. being able to see yourself. That's, that's not just for gender nonconforming people. That could be therapeutic for anybody, really, and just people relating that way. I think I'm realizing now the impact that this story could have on people and it's... Um, a little bit mind-blowing, i got to be honest. Yeah. I think we take for granted how important it is to see yourself reflected in literature. And, yeah. and I think that publishing is sort of just now realizing that we need to give, you know, voices to those folks as well. Do you think, do you see it sort of being a generational thing in the sense that the, the younger um the kids are the better able they are to navigate this this kind of stuff, these kinds of subtleties. Um, I I see that from my, from my perspective, but but I am like I have that mother perspective. I'm the mother of a 20 year old and a 17 year old, and they seem remarkably adept at um, understanding these nuances. I don't think we can generalize in that way, and here's why. I've had contact with many different teens. And although I've been blown away by, like, the sophistication in, in, in some of these teens and the way that they're able to understand things about identity and gender and just any concepts, really, any feelings that they're having, and I'm sitting there going, wow, that's not how I was in high school or that's not how I am still now. I've also met very many teens that were kind of reminding me of myself or you know, when we're talking high school in the 90s, and it's very similar. So I really mm. think it's who who are your friends? What are your interests? Do you have people in your life who are there to facilitate those conversations? Yeah. Are you just interested in reading about it? Because there are many who may think, um, oh, you know, we teens are beyond this now at this point. But you know what? Many teens aren't. Yeah, okay, good point. And yeah. so what are your thoughts on, on sort of getting everybody to read this book? Or, what you know, I, I understand you want to delight the people who are now seeing a protagonist that they can very strongly relate to. But I think what are your hopes and do you, how do you feel about um, exposing it to other, you know, to other types of readers? In terms of this whole, um, I guess, Queerness 101 and Gender 101 and all that. I wrote this book from the point of view of a main character who knows nothing about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She doesn't know any labels. She's kind of just seen some things on the news. She's got nobody in her life who who has, you know, explained, enlightened her with any of this. So that's part of the big reason why she is kind of doubting herself when she's getting beaten down by people saying, no, no, this is how you should be. What's wrong with you? Because she doesn't, like, knowledge is power. She doesn't have any. 
there's no terminology in that book. There's, yep. like I said, sexist, misogynistic language that's in there because in her world, in a lot of teens' worlds and yep. a lot of adults' worlds, those words are there, those expressions are there, and a lot of people just don't know any better than they don't even know where those words came from or is yeah. it, you know, that it's negative. So this book is absolutely written for anybody. Got it. I think the most complicated things to understand in, in Girl Man's Up is probably going to be the gaming stuff or <laughs> gaming. I've heard that. Like, I didn't know about retro gaming, so some of these things I didn't understand. But as far as the gender, I think pretty much everybody will be able to write because she doesn't even no. know how to explain it. I think that that's an excellent, excellent point. We learn with her. Um, for those of us who are less than familiar. So that, that's a really good point. All right, so you leave for work at what time in the afternoon? I usually, I work 11 to 7, usually 11 at night till 7 in the morning. Oh, my goodness. Tell me about your writing life and when you squeeze it in and how this all started. Like, when did you know you wanted to write this book and what was your experience getting to the point where you, you were accepted for publication? So I always liked writing um, growing up. I used to just do like a little, oh, chapter one, but um, that never went anywhere because for some reason I thought you had to go to university to be a writer. So since I picked nursing, I thought, okay, well, then you can't be a writer because you went and you became a nurse. So working nights, um, I do pediatric one-on-one care. I wanted something that was going to help me stay stimulated at night when people are sleeping, quiet, and when a kid that I'm working with is stable and I need something to do while I'm next to them, monitoring them. So I thought, why don't I write? Why don't I just do this thing and start writing? And that's honestly in my late 20s. I think I was 27. And then I realized, wait a minute, a lot of people are writing and they did not go to university. So that's how I started. I just joined local writing organization, took some classes. And um, I knew that I wanted to try to get whatever story um, was going to be my important story because I had a lot of works in progress as I was trying to figure out what I wanted to say. I wanted to try to reach for the top. And the top was this, like traditional publication, um, getting my queer story out there with a queer cover and the whole bit. So that's what I was aiming for. And um, I really didn't have trouble fitting writing in because it was so much fun. I used to do it at night. I used to come home and do it in the morning and do that whole bit. That works really well, I think, while you're um, heading towards, you know, getting your first book published because you're doing it for yourself and, you know, you're just kind of seeing where you can take it. Now my writing process is completely different. Um, I find that um, the second book is proving to be completely not the same as the first because I'm thinking to myself, I don't have, you know, five years to mess around with 18 billion drafts while I figure out what Girl Man's Up is about. I want to, like, make my process more efficient. So I'm actually in the process of really learning how to get things done more efficiently. So, um, again, I don't actually have to – I'm not somebody who has ever believed – you need to sit down, button chair every single day, stare at the blank page, put any words down, because I've tried that before, and I've written, you know, 80,000 words of pure crap. So I like to, when the inspiration hits, I like to kind of clear my schedule and just go with it. Mm-hmm. 
So mm-hmm. that's my that's my thing. So if that's after work, going to a coffee shop and thinking I'm going to be there for an hour, but then you know what, it's working out well, I'm going to be there for nine hours, that's what I'm going to do. So I'm lucky I don't have kids right now, and um, I'm kind of able to do that, but um, that that's kind of been my writing process and journey to publication. And now you're on the verge of your first um, publication. What in the publishing process has sort of delighted you the most, and what has frustrated, what has been surprisingly frustrating about being published? I like to just expect the worst. So <laughs> what I did, I do a lot of research. I make sure I'm prepared when I go into anything. So I read all the horror stories about publishing. Everything has kind of been a really delightful surprise, really. Um, working with my editor, Jill Davis, was amazing. Um, I, I just I tell stories about how funny it was because she's, People probably would say, you know, because I'm Canadian, I apologize for everything. I'm like, oh, sorry, sorry. But we would be editing, and she would say, oh, I'm sorry, Emmy. Can you look at this paragraph for this? I'm sorry. And I write back, oh, I'm so sorry. Yes, I took a look at it. I'm so sorry. So that's what our editing process was like. It was awesome. I guess the most frustrating is has been realizing that um, now that I'm trying to write uh, new things, whatever I thought I was doing, I had figured out before, it completely doesn't apply anymore. I think it's because now that I've taken this story, had several drafts, edited professionally with my editor, with my agent first, my editor, you know, was working with such a polished draft to the point of copy editing. Now I'm looking at new work and I'm going, oh, why why doesn't it look as good as this (laughs) published book now? What's happening? Isn't this come out all beautiful? So that's. That's probably the most frustrating part, and it's not even that frustrating, to be honest. Now, who is your first reader? Who do you deliver your pages to first? You know, like when Um, you're in the middle of it all. Oh, you know, I'm not, I didn't really have a formal writing circle. You didn't? And I didn't really have a formal critique partner. I've had some things looked at. Um... I think that my first real critical, like actual expert um, reader would have been my agent. And yeah. then if I want just like a reader reader, I've, I've had my girlfriend usually reads. Yeah, that's that's sort of what I was getting at. You, you know, the very first person that you show to say, does this make any sense or is this any good? I feel very private about what I'm writing because... Um, I know what it's like to complete to decide. Oh, you know what? I need to tweak this beginning, and now everything is different. And yeah. whatever thoughts you had are gone, and now I've ruined your fresh eye perspective because I made you read something that wasn't ready. So oh, interesting. Yeah. You know, I try to really keep it until I think, oh, this is amazing. Now you read it and tell me how much it sucks. So. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and just a couple more questions. What was the last book you had a conversation about, and what did you say? I, just a couple days ago, finished, um, it's Nina LaCour, I think it's Everything Leads to You, I think that's what it's called, and uh, it's a YA book, I just finished it uh, two days ago, and I had this whole thing on Twitter about how I finally finished a book. Um, I have had the worst time trying to commit to reading anything. I have trouble reading when I'm writing. Um, usually because I, I start reading and I get super excited and I'm like, oh, I'm going to start writing my book now because I feel like I want to do this good. Or um, 
I get seduced by new shiny books that I've bought, so I put books away for no reason. And sometimes um, timing, uh, anyway, reading has is, is been really difficult for me. I know when you're a writer, you're supposed to be like devouring all these books. I have a hard time committing to books. So that's honestly the first book, a YA book that I read in a few days and finished. Yeah. And I felt very accomplished about it, so I was tweeting about it. You do find that it's either authors do read voraciously or like you said when they're working they don't they don't read at all and they they just sort of clear their minds all right now my last question were you to be banished to a desert island and you were allowed to take only three books what would they what books would you bring oh oh that's a good question okay i would bring banana rose by natalie goldberg have you read it i have not okay that book see a writer friend of mine um, he suggested it to me and usually people suggesting to me and it makes me not want to read it because I feel like uh, <laughs> I'm forced to but I read it and it's like my fourth time reading I read it every year now and I don't know if there's something about that book this, anyway it's it's wonderful for many reasons and I would bring um, The Witch's Handbook by Malcolm Bird which is a uh, picture book okay oh 80. interesting it's, I've read it since I was little. I've tracked down a copy in my 20s, and I still read it now like a couple times a year because it is like the best, most magical book ever. Oh, my God, it's amazing. I even wrote to him like a few years ago to tell him how much I love this book, and he wrote back. He so did write like, back. Oh, I'm so happy. Yeah, he, it was amazing. He's like from the U.K., and he was explaining to me like all this behind-the-scenes stuff about the book. Anyway, it was amazing. So those two books for sure. And... Um, I think I would probably bring, um, that's a tough one. I'd want to definitely bring a YA book because now we're, we have adult and kids book. I think I would bring um, Keeping You a Secret by Julianne Peters mm-hmm. because that book changed my life as a writer Aww. and, well, as a reader, mm-hmm. first queer YA book I read. And say I couldn't bring that or I could bring a fourth one because I lied and I took one, I would bring Eleanor and Park by oh, Rainbow Roll. Love it. Because the fe- that book gave me withdrawals for two weeks. I felt like my life had no meaning because I didn't have that kind of love. So <laughs> I would bring it for the feels for sure. All right, yeah. I- I'll look the other way when you're packing and you can, okay, sl- and you can get four of them on there. How about that? Yeah, because the picture book's very small. Yeah, that, that, so. that hardly counts. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So thank you so much. I've been speaking with M.E. Gerard about her new book, Girl Man's Up, which publishes September 6th by Harper Teen and HarperCollins Canada. It's available wherever print book, e-books, and audiobooks are sold. I highly recommend it, and I thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you very much. Um, did you think I sounded Canadian at all? You did sound Canadian. <gasps> My agent says I have some accent. I'm like, what are you talking no, about? You're gonna, no, you have an accent. It's hilarious that you think you don't have an accent. When I went into this with this book, I thought, um, people ask me what, what's going to be your deal breaker. I said, and I even said that to my agent, I said, I'll change everything. I'll change the main character. I'll change the damn plot, but I will not make this story not Canadian. I just felt like the fact that it's Canadian um, shouldn't really affect the actual story and how people from the U.S. or anywhere else would really absorb the story and filter it because it, it's really the same. I felt like 
we over here in Canada get a lot of U.S. over here, and we're okay. Like, things like pep rallies and things like sophomore, like, we don't use that, but we understand it. So right, thought, right. I'm going to do that to you guys and see how it goes. And I did have to take the word poutine out because, you know, Americans apparently can't handle what poutine could be. And yeah. I don't know, you know what poutine is, but you should look it up. It's delicious. Okay. And I did take it out of the manuscript because at first, Penn and Colby were not eating fries with cheese sauce. They were eating poutine. Is it like cheese curd kind of thing? Yeah, cheese curds and gravy yeah, on fries. That's right. The best thing ever. So that's honestly the biggest backlash I've gotten about this book. Being that's Canadian hilarious. So I'm okay with that. Thank you for listening. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and this episode was edited by Sharon Matlin with production help from Jennifer Monroe. Please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents, and you can send us a question or comment via our Facebook page. We hope you'll join us next time as we hear more from leading figures across books, culture, and the arts, all brought to you by Harper Audio Presents.